you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Psalm 42 this morning. It's good to be back preaching. It's nice to have a couple of weeks to rest and catch up, but it's good to be back. It's been a while. Psalm 42 is where we are this morning, and I'm going to go ahead and read this again. I know it's kind of easier to... We're going to read it together because it, when you see it in... in uh, and a reading it, it's a little, it gets a little more imprinted on your mind. So I want to go over it again. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours out His unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing His songs, praying to God <clears throat> who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? <clears throat> I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. You know, today we begin our series on questions, God questions. And we put out little uh, note cards for you to send in your questions. And I got back a couple of questions on what do we do about depression? What, what do believers do and how do we respond to depression in our own life or in the lives of those around us? And so that's our first topic of discussion is depression. Now, there is a difference between being depressed, something that we all face at some point in our life, and having what has been termed a major depressive disorder. A major depressive disorder is something which annually affects around 14 million Americans over the age of 18. It's about 7% of the population. Now, major depressive disorder is defined as a period of two weeks or longer during which there is either a depressed mood or a loss of interest or pleasure, and at least four symptoms that reflect this change uh, are, are present. That is a uh, problem such as uh, problems with sleep, not being able to sleep, uh, low energy or having no energy, a problem in, with concentration, uh, a, a misguided self-image, a problem, uh, uh, as I said, with eating and not being able to eat or eat too much. It could be either way. 
And 50% of people who have a major depressive order in their life will not seek any treatment for it at all. They just continually live in denial that it is happening to them. 11% of adolescents will have some form of depressive disorder by the time they're 18 years old. 30% of college students report feeling depressed to the point that it impacted their ability to function in school. 350 million people worldwide annually are struggling with depression. And depression, although it is all around us, is something that we as believers oftentimes deny is happening to us. And the reason for this is, is that we're embarrassed. We're taught that we're always to be happy in Jesus, right? I mean, we are just to, just to trust and obey and always be happy. The joy of the Lord is our strength and we should never have a down day, right? It's a denial of reality that we're taught But if we look at Scripture, we see we're human beings, and they were human beings. We're emotional creatures. Abraham, Jonah, Job, Elijah, King Saul, Jeremiah, David, the disciples, Peter himself, the leader of the disciples, all faced depression at some point in time in their life. And in many instances, from what we read in Scripture, they had major depressive Episodes And the writer of Psalm 42 is in the midst of a major depressive episode. It's not just a, a moment where he felt blue. This is a moment, as described just a moment ago, of two weeks or longer where he cannot eat. He is crying all the time. He can't function because he is depressed. Depression is a reality. And you can deny it with 50% of the people who have it a major depressive episode, or you can come to grips with what is real in your life right now, maybe in this moment, and follow what Scripture teaches us on a proper response to such. It's up to you. Many years ago, there was a young Midwestern lawyer who suffered from such deep depression that his friends thought it best to keep knives and razors out of his reach. He questioned his life's calling and the prudence of even attempting to follow it through. During this time, he wrote the following words. He said, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. Have you ever been there? I am the most miserable man living. And that's where depression can get you. This morning, there are probably quite a few folks here who have been there before who would say, I am the most miserable human being living. And whether or not I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. He goes on and writes this, I awfully forebode I shall not. Now, what that means in our day and age is that I don't really believe I am ever going to be better. He says, I am the most miserable man living. He says, I wonder if I shall ever be better. And quite honestly, I don't think I ever will be better. But somewhere, Abraham Lincoln received the encouragement he needed and the achievements of his life thoroughly vindicated his bout with discouragement. Listen, depression happens to everyone, regardless of your position, regardless of how much money or how little money you have regardless of whether you're well-known or 
unknown. Statistics tell us that at any given moment in time, 70% of pastors are struggling with depression. Do you believe that? It's true. I can tell you it's true. I've dealt with depression in my own life, and I know lots of pastors, and pastors are very prone to depression. I believe that, that there are a lot of reasons for that, spiritual attack being one, the nature of the position being another. This has nothing to do with how close or far away you are from God. In fact, if we look at Psalm 42 in the first verse, we see this man was a very mature believer. I mean, he, he, was, he was someone who desired God. He was someone who loved the Lord deeply. He said, as the deer pants for the water, desires the water when he's thirsty, my soul longs after you, God. I want you. I love you. I need you. And I know it from the deepest parts of my soul. This is a mature believer right here, guys. And he is suffering from a major depressive episode. He is majorly depressed. This is not a moment in time. It's ongoing. And it is ruining his life to the point that it is physically affecting him. So it doesn't matter how close you are to God. It doesn't matter how well-known or unknown. It doesn't matter how rich or poor. We are all prone, because we are emotional creatures, to having moments in our life when we are depressed. And we need to learn to deal with it, both for ourselves and for those around us. Because whether or not you ever have a major depressive episode in your life, you can be assured of this, someone you know around you will. And when that happens, it sure helps when we know something of what Scripture teaches concerning it. Now, I want to say just as a disclaimer before we go any further, we know now that depression is also a physical illness just as it is a mental and an emotional illness. And it can go on so long that it begins to affect your brain chemistry. And God, in His grace, has given us pills to take. But you don't need to run to the pills first. You need to run to God first. We are so often in this day and age prone to go to the pills, thinking that a pill is going to take care of everything. Let me tell you something. Unless you get yourself right and begin to follow after what Scripture teaches us concerning depression, the pills are just going to mask the pain and you're never going to see it go away. You may or may not be someone whose brain chemistry has gotten to the point that you need to be righted and have the ship righted through a prescription. But I can tell you this. Prescriptions are never going to solve the problems, never going to help you deal with the emotions that made you depressed. So this morning, we're talking about solutions to the problem of depression. And we're going to do that by looking at what this man did, who he is. This psalm was written by one of the sons of Korath. Now, the sons of Korath, these were, this was a well-known family in ancient Israel, and they were known as great musicians. And we don't know if it was actually one of the sons of Korath or one of the, the, the folks who were known as a part of the school that came from this family. Uh, it doesn't really matter. We know a lot about this fellow, whether or not he is actually one of the sons of Korath himself or whether he was a part of the school of Korath. And those fellows would be known as, as one of the sons of Korah, someone that followed the way of Korah. What we know of him by that description is that he was a great musician. He was, he was very talented and very creative. 
And God had blessed him and given him great gifts in this area, so much so that something he wrote is preserved for us in Scripture. You see, sometimes the most talented among us, who are the most blessed among us, can be the most prone among us to depression. This fellow is one of the, one of the very talented people, very well-known people in his generation, likely, as far as worship was concerned. I mean, this was the Ron Canoli of his day, right? I mean, this, this was the, the Chris Tomlin of his day who suffered this terrible depression. And from the reading of the song, there are several things that are obvious about his life. He was once part of the life of worship in the temple at Jerusalem, but this is no longer the case. He's somewhere far from Jerusalem and the temple, and he is very depressed in large part because he is so far from the temple, Jerusalem, and the worship of God that he once enjoyed there with the family of faith. And on top of this, there are people around him who mock his faith in God, likely mocked his depression and mocked his relationship with God. And this is something that we need to understand about depression and about our lives in general. Circumstances change. And because circumstances change, we can be prone emotionally to be depressed because of the change. I mean, most of us don't like change to begin with, right? I mean, we like things to just stay like they are, and we'd be just all right if it did that forever, just stay just like it was. But change is inevitable. It's going to happen, and oftentimes it is not for the better. It is a negative thing in our life. We would all love to live on the mountaintops. We would all love to, to live in those moments of bliss and joy and excitement, but they, they don't last forever, do they? People die. Our teams lose. Uh, we, we, we have a job that we love, and all of a sudden we're laid off. It's gone. We're in a relationship, or we don't have a relationship, and those things can bring to us challenges circumstances ebb and flow in our life and oftentimes we find ourselves in a place because of circumstances that we are emotionally overwhelmed and become depressed. And look what happened to this guy's life. This man can't eat. Tears are his food. His heart is breaking, he says in this song, as he remembers how life used to be. And that's what we do in those moments, don't we? When circumstances change and things are not the way we wish they were, we remember how things used to be and we just begin to cry over what is lost. Our heart breaks over what was and what is today. That's what's happening here. He's deeply discouraged because of this. He feels that God is far from him. He feels as though God has forgotten him. His heart is sad. We see all of this. In this psalm. And you need to understand that these feelings in and of themselves are not wrong. It is not a sin to feel discouraged. It is not a sin to feel sad. Depression is a bundle of emotions and it is never a sin to experience emotions. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. The anger itself is not sin. It's what you do if you do something wrong. Contrary to God's will, because of that anger, that is sin. You see, what we do as a result of our emotions is either righteous or sin itself. 
If you respond to that feeling of anger, when someone slides into second base with a right hook, you're sinning, right? No matter how well or how much people may have thought that, that Bautista deserved it, right? Odor should not have done it. It's true. If you're feeling down and you're feeling discouraged and, and you're feeling sorrow and grief in your life and you try to drown it with a 12-pack of beer, you're sinning by doing that. If your heart is broken and you run to an illicit relationship, you're sinning in the midst of that. The broken heart was not the sin. The anger was not the sin. The feeling of discouragement was not the sin. It's what you chose to do as a result of that. Don't feel as though you are living in sin because you feel depressed. Your feelings themselves are not sin. It is not a sin to feel depressed. But we have to respond to that in a right way. So let's take a look. How does this man respond? How does this son of Korah respond to his feelings of depression? Well, you see it in the refrain of the psalm. He says, why am I so discouraged? It's like a wake-up moment. He's down, he's discouraged, he's in despair, and it dawns on him. He says, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And here it is. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. He looks at his circumstances as dim and horrible as they were, and he says to himself, I will take my eyes off of these circumstances, and I will put them on God, and I will find hope in Him. Now, that word hope means an expectation for good things. Ultimately, depression is a loss of hope. And you need to understand that. Whatever emotions have elicited the depression, the depression itself is a product of a place in your life where you have arrived at a place in your life where you are void of hope and expectation of anything good. The deeper the depression gets, the more you feel things will never, ever change. And the more it plays games with you physically. You see, depression is a loss of hope that anything will ever be different than the way it is today. And the circumstances themselves are so bleak and so dire and so horrible that we are emotionally overwhelmed in that moment and we've lost hope of anything ever changing and everything begins to turn on itself. And it's just, a, it's just this unholy, awful snowball. It's this unholy, awful cycle that we get in. To where we're living in despair and in dark, dark emotions and we begin living on them and acting as though they're going to control us and things are never going to be any different. These dire and dark circumstances and the emotions that come with them. You see, we must, and if we had slides today, I would have this up there. We must stop allowing our heart and mind to draw expectations for the future from present circumstance. That's what this man did. He looked around at his present circumstances and he said, you know what, enough. I am no longer going to take notes from my circumstances. He says, I'm no longer going to allow my expectations for the future to come from my present circumstances. I'm going to put my eyes on God and I'm going to trust Him for my future. I'm going to find my expectations for a future in Him. I mean, the emotions are real. 
The brokenheartedness is real. He's not ignoring that. He doesn't say here, you need to pretend all of this isn't real. You need to to pretend away or ignore all of the hurt you feel. No, he didn't say that. He says, I'm going to take my eyes off the circumstances causing my brokenheartedness, and I'm going to put my eyes on God, the source of my hope, my expectation of something to come. My current circumstances will never remain the same. As hard as it is to believe in the midst of discouragement, despair, and depression, our circumstances will one day change. Sometimes it's just very difficult to see that. He says you can see that in God. He says, why am I discouraged? Why am I sad? Why should I wallow in what I see in my current situation? I have a choice here take my eyes off of them and put my eyes on God and begin to have a new set of expectations. Many years ago, there was a fellow by the name of A.J. Gordon who went to the World's Fair. Now, at one time, the World's Fair, it was kind of the internet of today, right? I mean, you could find what the future looked like. You could you could find information. You, you, you went to the World's Fair because it was an exciting place to see what was to come. Now we can just look that up on the Internet and say, what's going to happen with the iPhone 7 and 8, right? I mean, we can find what's going to come with a click on the computer. But back in that day and age, you would go to the World's Fair. And so A.J. Gordon went to the World's Fair. And from a distance, he saw a man pumping water with one of those old hand pumps. Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. It used to be you would find a well and there would be a hand pump there and you would just work the pump like this and water would come out of the pump. And so from the distance, he saw a man working an old hand pump. The water was really pouring out of it as he looked. And he said this, he said, that man is really pumping water down there. And he kept on walking towards him. But when he got closer, he discovered that it was a wooden man connected to a pump powered by electricity. The man wasn't pumping the water. The water was pumping him. I want you to think about this. You have something to decide this morning. Are your circumstances acting upon you like that electricity was acting upon that wooden man? Or are you acting upon your circumstances? See, it looked like the man was pumping the water, but actually the water was creating the electricity that was pumping him, the wooden man. He was just a prop controlled by a power outside of himself. See, this is a decision you get to make. God has given that decision to you. You will look at your circumstances and feel controlled by your circumstances. And if you allow yourself to feel controlled by your circumstances around you, if you allow it to dictate the way you're going to look at your future, it will do just that. It will control you and it will begin to dictate your future. Or you can take your eyes off of the present circumstances, put your eyes on a holy God who this psalmist describes as a loving, kind God. That means that he is patient, he is loving, he is kind, all rolled up into one. You can put your eyes on a loving God and find hope and expectation outside of yourself and circumstances. Find a hope in a gracious, perfect God who has a plan for your future. That choice is yours to make. You see, the solution to depression is not pills, although they may help get you right physically when you've allowed the depression to get you to a point that, that you are just physically torn up. If you want real healing long-term, 
and victory over depression. It's going to come when you begin to make this choice that I'm no longer going to look at the circumstances around me and feel controlled by them. I'm going to look at a God who is in control, actually so, and find my expectation for the future in Him. That's what we do. That's our choice. And the interesting thing here is he doesn't stop there. Because, you know, I can tell you that, and that, that sounds good, doesn't it? But it also sounds almost impossible. It sounds very difficult to do. Because, you see, just changing where I'm looking from my circumstance to God seems like a good idea. And I feel maybe I can do it today. But tomorrow, my circumstances may be such that they overwhelm me again, and I know that it's going to be very difficult to continue doing that, and I'm going to be tempted to put my eyes back on the circumstances. See, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is more than just a catchy phrase. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on what? Your own understanding. Your own understanding of what? Your circumstances. We are tempted all the time to come back to our own understanding of what we see around us and begin to live in that, our understanding. That temptation is real. So I can tell you today, hey, take your eyes off circumstances, put them on God, find your hope, your expectation for a future in Him. And that sounds great, and you're doing it right now. You're saying, yeah, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to have victory over this depression. But you know in your heart of hearts, tomorrow it's going to be hard. Tomorrow it's going to be difficult to do that, because tomorrow reality sets in, and you're going to have this reality overwhelm you, this despair overwhelm you that has been getting the best of you, and you know in your heart of hearts you're going to be tempted, and maybe you just have accepted that tomorrow it'll be different. I'll be overwhelmed again, and I'm going to be depressed again. This is not really going to work for me. Sounds good, sounds great, but I doubt it's going to work for me long term. There's some of you that have already made that determination. You've already said that. This sounds good, but tomorrow it's not going to work for me. Well, he didn't stop there. If you look at verse 5, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart sad? I will put my hope in God. That's the first part that we've already talked about. He says in the second part, I will praise him again. I will praise him. You keep your eyes off circumstances on God and in the hope you have in Him if you will praise Him. There is power in praise that we as believers in Christ miss. We think praise is something we do on Sunday morning. We, we sing and that's praise. Uh, praise and worship. We're singing. We're enjoying praise and worship. And if that is what you believe about praise, and if you think the only time that you praise is on Sunday morning, you have missed one of the great weapons of your warfare. You have missed one of the great blessings that God has given you, something that is in your arsenal as a believer in Christ, this thing called praise. To praise God means to confess the truth. It means to speak the Lord's attributes, His goodness, His character. And to give thanks. It's a confession of truth. You see, I have to get my mind off the devil's lies. And I have to get my mind off circumstances and the truth that they paint for me. And I have to put my eyes on Christ and the truth of who he he is. And continually find my expectations for my future in him and his faithfulness to me. His loving kindness is faithfulness, goodness, 
kindness, love, all rolled up into one. The psalmist said we have that poured out on us all the time. But the way you're going to live in that is through your praise. See, when your mind begins to wander from your hope, your mind is caught and brought back through the act of praise. See, when the devil comes to you and the devil begins to paint you a future based on your circumstances, what you have to do in that moment is rebuke him in the name of, the, uh, in the name of Jesus and say, Scripture back to him maybe, or speak truth back to him. You say, I trust the Lord. You begin to put yourself in that verse I just mentioned moments ago. I trust you, O Lord, with all my heart. I lean not on my own understanding of these circumstances. In all my ways, I acknowledge you as God, including in these circumstances right now. And I believe that you are making my path straight right now. I talk to single adults. They're depressed because they're not married. You've got to make it true for you like this. I trust you, O God, in my singleness with all of my heart. And I lean not on my own understanding. It doesn't matter that I don't have anybody in my life right now. But in all my ways, I acknowledge you as God sovereign over my life. You're in control. I acknowledge you right now in this. And I believe you're making my path straight. You're bringing me to her, her to me. You're making it happen in your time. Some of you guys need to do that in other areas of your life with your job, for instance. Some of you need to go to God with your indecision. And with things that are murky and cloudy in your life and that bring you a great sense of of insecurity. And say, this is the confidence that we have in God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, whatever we ask, we have that which we ask of Him. So if I'm asking God for that job, if I'm asking God for, for those things that I have need of, God is going to answer that prayer in accordance to His plan for me. And I can trust Him in that. When I feel that God is far from me and my prayers are hitting the ceiling and I feel that no sense of God's presence, I can go back to verses that tell me that He never forsakes me, He never leaves me, He is always with me. I can go back to the Scriptures and say, Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. Lord, I believe this, I trust this, I embrace this. Lord, I praise you as the God who answers when I ask. I praise you as the God who opens the door when I knock. I praise you as the God who gives what I need when I seek. Lord, because your word, you have said it is true and this is true. Not my circumstances, not how I feel. It is in our praise as we are acknowledging the truth of who God is, His character, and what He has promised to do that we remain in Christ and the hope that He has given us. It's a powerful place to be. Now, let me make it real. Painfully real. This is something I'm learning to do all the time. You know, in 1995, I was 25 years old and I was on top of the world. Had the world by the tail, man. I'm telling you, I, I felt pretty good about who I was, where I was going most of the time. Pretty confident. Some might say cocky. And one Sunday afternoon, I came home from church, and I didn't know what in the world was going on with me. I just started throwing up, throwing up. And I had the shakes. I was like, what in the world is happening to my body? I called my dad, and I said, Dad, I don't know what's wrong with me. 
I said, y'all got to take me to the hospital or something. I said, something wrong with me. Lucky for my mom, for me, my mom knew what it was because she'd had it before herself. I was having an anxiety attack. Now, why was I having an anxiety attack? I don't know. And there are reasons I could go back and psychoanalyze myself and talk to you about those, but it doesn't really matter. What happened was is that I had had people close to me die in succession. I had other things in my life that were bringing me stress. I had endured that stress and lived in those circumstances and lived in that grief and dealt with that grief without going to God with those things as I should. And I had lived under that to the point that physically my body was just rebelling. I mean just rebelling. I was to that point that I talked about a while ago where you are depressed so long that physically your chemistry is out of whack. And let me tell you, if you've never been there, don't talk to anyone or talk down to anyone that is. Because unless you've had an anxiety attack, you don't understand it. Now, I don't say that in some condescending tone. I'm saying there's nothing like it, and it's hard to describe. But what I realized is, is that the root of the depression cannot be dealt through medication. And what I've realized is, is that depression can be something that raises its ugly head periodically in your life if you do not do what Psalm 42 says. If you decide that you're going to stop living in the hope you find in Christ and start living in circumstances and what you find in self, eventually you'll go a while just fine. You'll be all right for a while. Because most of us can endure for a little while through our own psyche and our own ego. We can endure. We can be strong. We can put on a, a good front and a great face. But eventually, we crash. We crash. And one of the great things is people come to me and talk to me about depression, and I can say, you know what? I've been there. I have dealt with that. Let me tell you what happens here. Let me tell you what I do. And ultimately, it comes back basically to what I've explained here this morning. Ultimately, what it comes back to is, yeah, you need to take care of yourself and make sure you're doing this, this, and this, and go exercise a little bit and work off some stress. But ultimately, what it comes back to is you have to come to a place where you release this to Christ. It comes to a place to where you are going to find your hope and your expectations for your future in Jesus, not in self. You see, when I speak on the subject of depression, I do not speak as one who is preaching down to you something that has not been experienced by me. I'm telling you, I have been there. And here is what I have found. Scripture is true. God is true. He has proven himself true and faithful in this area in my life. One of the reasons I believe that pastors are so prone to depression is because we are so prone to be prideful and full of self and to live in what we can do in our own strength and taking things on ourselves, we begin to get cocky and think that we've arrived and that we're something. And God allows us to, to realize we're not, that we are completely dependent on him. I don't want to ever deal with depression again. I never want to be depressed or have an episode of depression again. But I can tell you one thing depression has done for me. It has made me realize my dependency on Christ, that I am weak and in my weakness he is strong. So I praise God for that. I praise God with Paul. It's a thorn in the flesh that I've experienced that has taught me to rely on Christ. It's not a thorn I wish to have. It's not a thorn I want to experience the pain of again, let me tell you. But I can tell you this. If you're one who is experiencing depression or you know someone who is experiencing depression, this is the answer. 
to get out of yourself, put your hope in God, and through your praise, your declaration of the truth of God's Word and His character, to remain in that hope so that you can begin to look beyond circumstances and have life in Him. And let me tell you something, when you begin to do that, it may seem like nothing has changed for a moment, but you just keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. And in Jesus' name, I promise you this, you will see your life begin to take steps into a life of greatness, a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of pleasure in Christ and His will. And when bad things happen and when hardship comes, you do, you do life in a different tone and with a different kind of idea and, and mindset because you find your hope continually in Christ and you begin to address those hardships and those difficulties and those, those, those feelings of despair and discouragement in Christ rather than in self. And they do not have the power to pull you back down. Christ instead pulls you up. This morning, the answer is Christ. Always is. And if you're one this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, we would love to tell you how you can. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead to give you new life in Him. If you're a believer in Christ and you've accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord and like Abraham and Jonah and Job and the disciples and Peter and so many other believers in Christ all over the world, throughout all of Christian history, you are struggling with depression. Let me tell you something today. The answer, just as it was for your salvation, is Christ. This morning... Turn your eyes on Jesus. Let go of trying to figure everything out. Stop looking for hope and stop looking for a future in yourself and what you can figure out and what you can do and completely rely on the Lord. Completely rely on His character, His goodness. And find in Him and in Him alone your victory. Do it today. Because let me tell you, you can try everything else you want to try. And you may find temporary relief and this and that and the other. But victory and relief and rest only comes when you let go of self and embrace Christ and find your hope in Him through your praise of Him. Do it today. I beg you to do it today. Come to the altar, pray, turn it over to Him. Make it real today. Let go.